morning, Woodland Hills. And good morning or good afternoon or good evening uh, to all the Podrishners and everyone else who's listening, who knows when they're listening, but good whatever to you as well. I want to also um, uh, say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Uh, Good job that you're doing. Keep up the good work. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And we're in the middle of a series we're calling Animate, because the word animate means to breathe life into something. And we're focusing specifically on the issue of the imagination, what Paul calls the mind and the heart, as the inner sanctum, the place where we meet God and where the things of God become concrete, vivid, experiential, and therefore transforming. Um, and so we, we laid the biblical foundation for this and showed how it's been used throughout church history and how it's even compatible with what we know about the mind and the brain from neuroscience. And then last week we applied this, uh, this, this way of interacting with God to our picture of God. This morning I want to apply it to our picture of ourselves in light of our picture of God. And so this message is entitled, Forming Me. Forming Me. And I'd like to open with a word of prayer. Father, I just pray, Lord, that uh, as these words are coming out, that, um, uh, Lord, you'd be forming our minds and forming our hearts, shaping us, sculpting us, creating us in your image. Infuse these words with your authority because there's no life in them otherwise. For all in this auditorium, for everybody listening through podcast or television or any other means, we just pray, Lord, that you'd make us pliable in your hands. Give us open hearts and minds to receive you deeply into our innermost being. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I am going to be assisted in this message this morning. I'm going to be doing a little bit of team preaching. Uh, I've asked a good friend of mine, becoming a good friend of mine, Chris. Welcome, Chris. He's going to be up here doing some work, brother. And, uh, We've asked Chris. Chris is a, a sculptor, uh, artist of sorts. He's here with his lovely wife, uh, Wanda. It's good to have you here. And uh, we've asked him, in light of the, the whole theme of this series, is how truth needs to be incarnated. And so we've asked him to, as I am preaching, and as we go into worship after the preaching, to be s- just sculpting something, however God leads you. Just whatever comes to you, just sculpt it, and you can just start right now. And uh, I encourage you, as I'm giving this teaching, as the Lord leads you, to look over at what He's doing and, and see in Him a representation of what God is doing to us every minute. And we'll be putting some of His work on the screen throughout the rest of this service. I'd like to start by reading uh, two passages of Scripture. The first is from Genesis, which says in verse 7, The Lord God formed a man, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, animated being, animate. And then in Psalms 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Notice there that the psalmist praises God because of who he is. He's awesome and wonderfully made. 
And so affirming that you are a masterpiece work of art is not incompatible with praising God. In fact, the two go hand in hand. Your works, he says, including the work that I am, your works, including me, are wonderful. I know that full well. I've asked uh, Terry Churchill, who is the author of the animate booklet that we're going through as a congregation, um, to read once again one of her poems. Uh, This is the poem for this week. And as you listen to these words, listen very, very carefully. And watch Chris's work very, very carefully. Because it so perfectly expresses the truth of who God is, what God's doing in our life, and who we are as a result of that. This poem is entitled, The Way You Love Me. Sometimes I think of you forming me from nothing, shaping tendon and muscle and bone to cover the vulnerable places in me. I think of you absorbed in the details, using your fingers to tenderly draw the contours of my body. I think of you bending over me to breathe life into my lungs, the intimacy of your breath in my mouth. This is how you have loved me from the moment you dreamed a dream of me. This is how you love me even now as you swim in my veins and whisper in my ear. You are the secret I carry in my body. powerful it's powerful we've been talking about how our relationship with God is mediated by our images of God our representations in our head about God and all of our emotions are associated with concrete representations in our mind one of the reasons why we have trouble loving God passionately in a consistent way is because to some degree we have unlovable images of God in our mind. And it's the images, the concrete images, more than the abstract theology that determines how invested, how passionate we will be in our love for God. The same thing is true of our relationship with ourself. Our relationship with ourself is mediated by the images we have of ourself. One of the reasons why we have trouble celebrating who we are, loving ourselves, and the Bible commands that, in fact, as as the, the work of art from the Heavenly Father, we are to love our neighbor as ourself, we're to love ourselves. But one of the reasons why we have trouble doing that is because we have unlovable images of ourself. And those images, those representations are not abstract information. Our brain, as we've seen in this series, is not, doesn't run on abstract information, cognitive information. Rather, we think with concrete images. We think with our imagination, vivid, concrete, embodied representations that are rooted in experience. Things happen in our life to us or things that we do that contain a message and we, we, our, our mind locks that in. And under the right situations, we re-experience that. And there's a message contained in those experiences, those images, those representations. And that is what forms us, shapes us, moves us, transforms us, 
more than the cognitive information that we believe. It happens something like this. And here's an experience that I have shared before, but I want to share it again. Here's how the messages get contained in our uh, minds. When I was about five years old in Lansing, Michigan, uh, being raised by my stepmother, who, looking back on it, uh, I can see that she, she was in a, in a terrible situation and had a lot of stress. I think she had some kind of a breakdown and had a tendency to become abusive when she got angry. And there's one time I remember where she was giving me this bath. And I was mad at her. We were always fighting. And I don't remember what the issue was. But I said to her, I don't like you. And I'm going to run away from home. And she immediately grabbed my arm and yanked me out of the bathtub and carried me by that one arm uh, to the front door of the house and threw me out the front door and locked the door. She said, you want to run away from home? Fine, you're gone. So I'm outside, naked and wet. I don't know what, what time of year it was, but it was cold. And I'm immediately freezing. A car drove by with some kids in the back, and they saw me, and I just knew they were laughing, and I felt such shame being naked in the front yard. I began to pound on the front door, begging my stepmother to let me in, promising her that I do love her and that I will not run away from home. Uh... But for a long while, she didn't open that door. I don't know how long I was out there, but it seemed like eternity. I know at one point my body was just quaking because of how cold I was. Now see, that experience has a message in it that is stored in my brain. The message is both a message about authorities and a message about me. It's a message about God ultimately and a message about me. The message about authorities is this. I lock it in at a very young age that authorities can't be trusted. Authorities can be arbitrary. They can be cruel. They can turn against you at the drop of a dime. And the message that that communicates to me about my worth is that I live in a very, very scary world. And people who say they love you and are supposed to protect you can turn against you. And you don't even necessarily have to know why, for the slightest thing. And you can be thrown out into the cold, locked out into the cold, and you can be shamed. And so what it means for me is that I live in a very scary world and I am on my own. And you can't trust anyone. Uh, they may turn against you. And so you just kind of put yourself on a little island where it's safe. And ultimately that becomes, it bleeds over into a picture about God, what God is like, and a picture about what my ultimate worth is and the kind of world I live in. And see, I can then later on hear the message and believe the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And know that God is beautiful and He looks like Jesus dying on the cross for me. And I believe that and I can know that I, I, I am created in His image and I have unsurpassable worth. I can know that intellectually. But to the degree that there are concrete representations of God and myself that are encoded in the experience and those things are floating around in my brain, to that degree, even though I believe certain things about God and myself, what I'll experience is true is very different from what I believe. I might, may not even know that I'm, I, I have these, these encoded messages in my brain. But under the right situations, they get triggered, and that's what I experience is true. We wonder why our lives and our experience don't match up with our beliefs. 
because there's so much garbage, embodied, concrete, vivid, experiential, transforming garbage floating around in our brains. I know the right situations, they're activated. And all of us, to some degree, have been barraged with this. We have messages that don't communicate the truth about who God is and about who we are. But under the right situations, they get triggered, and that's what we experience regardless of what we theoretically believe. There are people listening to this message, I'm sure of it, who, through some experience, embodied, have have an embodied lie in their brain that their ultimate purpose in life is to give men sexual gratification. They may believe and know that that is not the case, but there's going to be part of them that's always going to gravitate towards that. That's what feels appropriate to them. There's others who have an embodied lie in their mind that they're fated to be a failure. Others have an embodied lie that you're just not very important to anybody. Others will have an embodied lie like I did, that you can't trust anybody. The world's not safe. You can never give yourself fully in love to anybody. Others might have an embodied lie that you deserve the abuse of men you always seem to invite into your life. And others have an embodied lie that you need to prove your worth and value by what you achieve and what you earn and what you possess and who you impress. And others have an embodied lie that, that uh, you're damaged goods and you're never going to measure up. Or an embodied lie that you're always a victim and you can't help yourself and you are enslaved just like your father or just like your mother was and you're always going to be in bondage to this chemical or that chemical or, or porn or whatever it is. And that's not just information in our mind, it is experience in our mind that we re-experience every time it gets activated. And see, to the degree that that is our image of ourself, then of course you can't celebrate that, you can't, you can't love that, that's not lovable. How we need to not just know, but experience profoundly, deeply, experientially, vividly, concretely, receive the truth about who God is and who we are into our lives. It's got to become experienced reality. Here's the truth. What Terry said was the truth. You're a masterpiece in process, but a masterpiece. God's forming you and shaping you. That's what's true. What's true is what Chris is doing right here. Uh, What's true is that God, this moment, is crafting you intimately, personally. He's, He's there involved in your life. That's the ultimate truth about who you are. You've got a lot of stuff in your brain and your mind and your life and your history that doesn't agree with that, but that is what is ultimately true. What's true, as Terry said, I, I, I just love the way she put it, is that your Heavenly Father, Abba Father, formed you from nothing. Abba Father carefully shaped tendon and muscle and bone to cover the vulnerable parts of your body. What's true is that your heavenly creator, your beautiful creator, was absorbed in every detail about you. He tenderly drew the contours of your body, as as Chris is, is doing right now. He tenderly carved the contours of your body, attending to every detail. He bent over you, and he breathed his breath into your lung. That's what's true. What's true about you is that God has been looking at you, gazing at you with eyes of unsurpassable love from the moment he first dreamed a dream about you. What's true is that that isn't just something that happened once upon a time in the past. What's true is that that has been happening every second of your life. 
God sustains you, the Bible says, with the power of His love, with His Word. The love that was expressed, the perfect love that was expressed on Calvary, that unsurpassable love, has been holding you in existence and shaping you in your existence moment by moment, every nanosecond of your life. What's true is that God has been and is this moment attending to every detail of your life. He is, he is involved in every cell, every blood cell swimming throughout the veins of your body. He is there. He's involved in, he's sustaining you, every neuron that pops in your brain, every thought that you have. He is the one who gives you every breath that you breathe. Out of his love, he gives you another breath. And, and every heartbeat, every one of them come out of that perfect love that was expressed on Calvary. He's even now, this moment, with these words in this context... Shaping you, fashioning you, attending to the details, intimately involved in your life. That's what's true about God, and that's what's true about you. When God shapes us, it's an act of absolute tender intimacy. Every Christian believes that God has a plan for their life, because the Bible says so. And every Christian believes that in all things, Romans 8, 28, in all things God's working together for the better, for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That's true. That's wonderful. But see, it's possible to believe that, that God has a plan on how He's going to shape you. It's possible to believe that. And yet not experience any of the intimacy of how God does that. And how important it is that we see and experience the intimacy of this. I didn't know this until this week. As I was working on this message and starting to move on the inside of this, this, the truth that God is the master sculptor, I began to get on the inside of it, I think for the first time in my life in any kind of a consistent way. I began to really envision God working in my life the way Chris is working on this clay right now. But I didn't know that my own metaphor that I, I tend to live in, in terms of understanding and experiencing God's care for me, was devoid of this kind of intimacy. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me you know, give my main analogy for how God works in our life. I, I, I tend to see God as sort of the master chess player. And He's infinitely intelligent. And because He's infinitely intelligent, He can anticipate every possibility uh, that could ever happen on this chessboard and has a plan in place from the start as to how he'll respond uh, in case that thing happens. And that model gives me a lot of assurance and a lot of confidence that God is in control even though humans have free will and angels have free will and a lot of stuff can happen but nothing's going to catch him by surprise because he's, he's been anticipating it from the beginning of the world and has a plan in place. And that's, I think, a great model. But what I never realized until this week is that that model, as I think it captures an aspect of God's providential working in my life, yes, but it still puts me on the chessboard and God up there. And, and it's almost like God is sort of this very smart computer, and I can trust that whatever happens, the computer has it, has it factored in, but it's, it, it misses a dimension of, of intimacy. Thank you very much. I'll say. Anyone else want to bring up an offering right now? Let's just see why wait till later on. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, so the what, what happened as I began to move into this metaphor is I really began to sense God saying to me, "Greg, uh, you're way more important to me than a chess piece on a chessboard in a cosmic chess game, and I'm way more to you than the chess master." 
Uh, Greg, you are my child. Uh, Greg, you are my work of art. I am, yes, I got plans in place and all of that, but, but, but you got to know how I apply them, and how I apply them is not in some kind of cosmic plan, but I'm personally involved in your life. I'm personally shaping you. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm getting my hands dirty in, in, in your life. Uh, it, it's an act of intimacy. You look at Chris right here, and, and, and Chris, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not standing afar off saying, oh, I have a plan for, for this, 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 this piece. He's in there. He's on his knees. He's attending to the details. He's getting his hands dirty. It's, the, the clay is getting into his pores. He's going to smell a little bit like clay when he's done here. It gets under his fingernails. He's putting his energy, the work, the, the attention, the affection into this piece. In fact, the piece is really... Something of an extension of him. Greg, I felt the Lord saying to me, that is how I'm involved in your life. I'm not up there. I'm down here. I'm right next to you. You're, 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 I got, got you under my fingernails. I'm involved in the details of your life. And that, see, that evokes something totally different in, 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 in terms of how I relate to God. That, that just hits a piece that wasn't hit before. God's right here, shaping me moment by moment. I love his work. I'm his art piece. It's a masterpiece. He's involved. And so he's involved in your life. Moment by moment, God intimately, tenderly is involved with us. And, and his involvement with us affects him. In the same way that as Chris works on this sculpting piece, it, it, the clay gets on him, we affect God. He's intimately, it's a, he's a hands-on providential God. This act of God shaping us is not just tender, tender and intimate, but it's also, and this is important, it's interpersonal. It's interpersonal. And I emphasize this point because the potter clay analogy has been, sadly, throughout history, sometimes used in, in, a, in, a, in a wrong way. I mean, some take the potter clay analogy, which you find throughout the Bible, and they take it to mean that God exercises coercive unilateral control over the clay. So whatever happens in the world is exactly as God shaped that clay to be. And there are some who even embrace this, what I consider to be a monstrous view of God, where they picture God having this lump of clay and he makes some, of the, some, some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell, and then he punishes the people who he made bad for being the way that he made them, and then turns to the people that he made good and says, now aren't you glad I didn't do that to you? And praise me for my mercy, because I didn't do that to you. And if you ask the question, where's the justice or the love or the goodness in that? The reply you sometimes get is, who are you to reply back to God? Why have you made me thus? The potter has the right to do whatever he wants. If he wants to make you fit to go to hell, well, that's his right. I submit to you that the potter clay analogy in the Bible, including in Romans 9, means the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite of that. If you look at it in its context, it means the exact opposite. For example, the, 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 the passage that most fleshes out this potter clay analogy is Jeremiah 18. And here the Lord takes Jeremiah to the potter's house. I went down to the potter's house, he said, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot. He revised his plans. Shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me and said, can I, not, can I not do with you, house of Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. Now pay attention to this. 
See, the potter was making a certain kind of pot, and it got marred. It wasn't turning out right. So the potter revised his plan and formed something different that was appropriate to the kind of clay he was working with. And the Lord says, I want you to tell Israel that, because, see, I, the Lord had made a prophecy about Israel that judgment was coming. And some of the Israelites, if you look at verse 12 of, of uh, Jeremiah 18, if you look at verse 12, the Israelites said, it's no use, we're done for. God's prophesied against us. And God is saying... Don't become fatalist. Don't do that. I'm the potter. You're the clay. And just like this potter revised his plans because the clay got marred, so also I'll revise my plans. If you'll just change, I'll change. I'm the potter. You're the clay. I can do whatever I want. And therefore, I will respond wisely and appropriately to whatever kind of clay you make yourself. The point of the potter-clay analogy isn't God's unilateral coercive control over the clay. It's rather God's incredibly wise flexibility in response to the clay. And so when God is intimately involved in our life, intimately involved moment by moment, every nanosecond, shaping us and forming us, but he doesn't turn us into little puppets. No, we are people. And what God does is, is in response to what is done to us and in response to what we do and in response to the kind of clay that we make ourselves. And he shapes us and, and, and responds in a loving, appropriate way uh, in, in, in light of uh, all the things that are going on in our life. In fact, the truth is that all of us coming into this world, this fallen, oppressed world, all of us are to some degree marred from the get-go. It's just part of being born to a fallen race. Some people are marred physically. Their bodies don't reflect God's original perfect design. All of us are to some degree uh, marred psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. All of us have some tendencies. They feel like built-in instincts that are not in line with God's original design. We're born in this kind of corrupted state. But what we need to know is the Lord looks at this and he grieves over the marring, over the defects, but he says this. Uh, you got to know that, that the, the mars that are there and that you, we acquire throughout our life, you got to know that this does not affect my love for you. It doesn't affect my, my, my attention to the detail of your life. And it does not affect my ability to transform you into a masterpiece. Human beings put a lot of judgments on all the kind of marring stuff. They say, oh, this is a good body, and that's not a good body. This is a sexy body, that's not a sexy body. This is an able body, this is a disabled body. But God just says, I, sees, looks at this and says, I see clay that I can make a masterpiece out of. And that's all you got to know about it. Amen. He'll take even the marring, and he's so wise. He, he'll take even the, the marred aspects, the, 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 the faults and the weaknesses, and he weaves them into something that is beautiful. And he keeps on pouring his love on us to make us pliable. Uh, this last Thursday, I went to Chris's studio to uh, just uh, kind of observe him doing a little bit of work. You know, so I might know a little bit more about this uh, analogy that I'm going to be using throughout this message. It always helps to know a little bit about the topic you're going to preach on. I've, I've discovered that over time. And, and one thing Chris does is uh, on, on occasion he splash water on the clay. And uh, I say, well, why, why are you doing that? He goes, well, the clay gets you know, kind of stubborn. It gets dry. And so to make it pliable, I just got to be putting this water on it. He kind of like washes it. And he works the water into it. And that's exactly what God does to us. The water is his love. And as he confronts the wounds and the scars and the stubborn parts of our life and the bondages that we get into, he just pours more love on it and he works it in, he works it in, he works it in. Sometimes he works it so hard it hurts. Yeah, sometimes it hurts. But, but it's all done out of his love. He baptizes us in his love. The, the, the act of God shaping us moment by moment is tender, intimate, interpersonal. It's also 
And it's also mainly a process of God removing things from our life. Michelangelo uh, said this famous statement about how he was, how he used to sculpt. He says, it's not so much that I, I form something uh, out of the clay or out of the rock, as it is I release the image from the rock. I free the image that I see from the rock. And so he would get a, 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 a vision, if you will, of, of what was inside the rock or what was inside the clay. And then he just had to remove everything that was inconsistent with that vision. So, for example, here's his, uh, his, his Moses. He saw this Moses inside this huge rock. The Moses was there. He just had to free Moses from all the un-Moses rock that surrounded him. And that's exactly what God does in our life. God sees the masterpiece. And then, in the power of his love, he strips away everything that is not consistent with that masterpiece. And what we need to know is that that masterpiece that God sees, that is the truth of who we are because he is the creator. He is the potter, we are the clay. He can say whatever he wants about us, and what he says is there is a masterpiece. It may be hidden in a whole lot of clay. Maybe hidden and encased in a whole lot of rock. The masterpiece that you are, you really are, because God's seeing is never inaccurate. If he sees a masterpiece, there is a masterpiece. And that masterpiece maybe is encased in a whole lot of stuff that's inconsistent with the masterpiece. Like the lies that you believe, and the faults that you have, and the scars that you, you bear, and the things that have been done to you, and the things that have been said to you, and the things that you yourself have done. A whole lot of history encases that masterpiece. But that masterpiece is there, is there. And our job is just to say God set us free from all of this false rock, all this false clay that keeps it hidden. And it may be that even you can't see the masterpiece. It may be that no one else can see the masterpiece. Maybe your mom and dad never saw the masterpiece. Maybe your spouse doesn't see the masterpiece. Your kids maybe can't see the masterpiece. Your neighbor can't see the masterpiece. But God sees the masterpiece. So who cares what they see? He sees the masterpiece. And... Our job is to agree with God about that. That's what it means to make Him Lord. Your word counts more than our word. And so to believe that, that's what we celebrate. It's, it, it's not celebrating everything that has happened to us and everything that we have done and all the other stuff in our life. It's celebrating the fact that we are the work of His hands. We are the masterpiece in process. God, the master artist, looks at the clay and... He sees, he sees a vision of who we truly are, and so he says, you know what, uh, that lie, that lie, that, that, your, that, that embodied lie, that, that your purpose is to gratify men's sexual desire, that's got to go, oh, I've got I to take that one off, because what I see is a radiant, pure, and innocent bride of Christ. And that's who you really are, so let's get rid of this garbage on your life. And as the master artist, the master sculptor looks at the clay, he sees uh, the vision of who we really are. And he, so he says, that lie that you deserve the abuse of men that you invited into your life, that's got to go because what I see is a precious daughter who's a king's kid and she knows she's a king's kid and she wants to be treated like a king's kid and she ain't taking abuse from nobody. So we got to strip that one away. And as the a, as a master artist looks at the clay and sees the vision of who we truly are, he says... Oh, this, this lie, this embodied lie that you can't trust anybody. Uh, you know, that's got to go because what I see is a masterpiece of a person who has received all of my love and all of my boldness and all my confidence and he, is, he or she is able to take risks in loving others. 
because their fullness comes from me. And, and, and as the, the master artist looks at the rock or the clay and sees the vision of who we truly are, he says, that lie, that you're damaged goods and, and, and you'll never measure up, that's got to go. Because see, what I see, what I see, and my seeing is always accurate, what I see is a person who knows uh, and walks in the reality that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. And I see a person who, who knows that all has been forgiven and that they have made, been made whole. Yes, there's a lot of wrong things in the past, but they know that the work of Christ is, is greater than all of those sins. And they walk in that forgiveness and they walk in that wholeness and they dance with me freely. That's what I see. And everything else that's inconsistent with that has simply got to go. Or the master artist looks at the clay and sees the truth, the vision, the masterpiece on the inside, and therefore says, this lie that you'll always be in bondage, that you'll always be afflicted, that you can't help yourself. Oh, I got I to work that one out. I got to work that one out. Because what I see, what I see is, is this masterpiece of a human being who knows that I, you're not a victim of anybody. No, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. What I see is a masterpiece of a person who knows that they are the walking, talking temple of the Holy Spirit. God Almighty dwells within them. They're filled with my love. They're filled with my joy. They're filled with my peace. And, and, and they celebrate that in everything that they do. And the, the lie that, that uh, you have to earn your, your worth and prove it by what you earn and what you acquire and, and who you impress, that's got to go. I'm going to work that one right off. Because what I see is a masterpiece of a person whose whole fullness of life comes just because I'm the artist and I put it into them. And everything they do is not done to try to get some worth, but to express the worth they already have. And they know what it is to dance with the triune God and to live free and to live bold and to live fearlessly. Our job is just to say, God, take it away. You say there's a masterpiece, then there's a masterpiece. Strip away everything, as we're going to sing a little bit later on here. Strip away all the weaknesses by the power of your love. Keep pouring that water on, on us and molding it into us. And our job is to become pliable in His hands and say, Lord, take it away. Strip it away. Reveal, unveil your masterpiece. The Bible says as long as we're in Christ, it's certain that that masterpiece will come out. It may take a little while. It may take some work. You know, but it's, it says in Romans 8, in Christ, it's predestined that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. First uh, John says, we shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him. The Bible says that he who began a good work is not going to finish, is not going to quit till it's finished. He, he's not a give up kind of God. He stays in there. Chris isn't going to give up on this thing until, until it's done. He keeps working at it. Right now, it's a little stubborn. He puts a little more water on. He keeps on working at it. It's destined, if you're in Christ, that you will look like Him, you'll love like Him, you'll shine like Him in your own unique way. But to get there, everything else has got to be torn off. Out of His tender, intimate care for detail, it's got to be stripped away. Now, how does the Lord do this? I'll share two ways here. He's intimately involved, forming, fashioning us. And he, and he, and he, he removes the, the parts that are not consistent with the masterpiece in a number of ways. One of the ways he can do it is this. As we have our times of intimacy with God, um, you know, when you go into prayer, as we've been talking about the last several weeks, imaginative prayer, you find the place, you, you, you behold the Lord. Uh, however that works with you, you pray with all five senses, you encounter the living God. You behold His glory and are transformed from one degree of glory to another. What can happen there, and I talk a lot more about this in my book, Seeing is Believing, than I can go into now. But the Lord can use that as an avenue for healing in our life, if we let Him. 
It can happen that the Lord will bring up one of these embodied lies, an experience, a memory, maybe even one that you haven't remembered for years. Maybe you've never remembered it, but it comes to you, it comes to your awareness. And all of a sudden, you're back at a different place. And if we're open to the Lord doing this, He can, He doesn't change the past, but He can change the meaning of the past. As we invite him into all the wounded areas of our life, and it's his loving way of stripping away all that doesn't belong there. It's his loving way of bringing every thought captive to Jesus Christ, because all of our thoughts are embodied in representations, imagination. He brings it all captive to him. So, for example, there was one time, uh, some time ago, where I was just spending some time with Jesus. I have some nice music on, the room's dark. I'm in my place, I'm just enjoying my time with Jesus. And all of a sudden, I find that I am. Uh, back in Lansing, Michigan. And I'm naked and I'm cold and I'm almost convulsing because I'm so cold and I'm ashamed. And uh, I'm banging on the door. And I'm there again. I mean, I'm experiencing this again. I, I, I'm all five senses. I'm this little kid, scared and ashamed. And then in this healing, the Lord comes up behind me. I don't see the Lord face to face in this one, but I, I'm, I'm there, I'm crying, I'm begging, and the Lord comes behind me, and He puts this warm, fuzzy blanket all around me. And He just gives me this bear hug. Just gives me this bear hug. And, I, and, and immediately, I'm safe. And He's holding me very tenderly, but strong and warm. And then He, he whispers in my ear, Right here. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. This should never have happened to a child of mine. Your mother does not know, did not know what she was doing. Try to forgive her. I have forgiven her. But you need to know, as he's holding me tight, so warm and safe, he says, you need to know that I would never throw you out in the cold. I would never leave you or forsake you. Uh, I will always be there for you. You can trust me. You're my precious child. I love you more than you could possibly ever comprehend. And you need to know that it turns out okay. You're going to get through this. See, what's happening there is that the, the beauty of God, the good news is reaching the little kid. Theoretically, I believe this as an adult, but someone's got to evangelize that five-year-old who's still out in the cold. And you bring every thought captive to Jesus Christ. And now that, that message about abandonment and untrustworthiness, that, that message has been transformed. This is how Jesus works all things to his advantage. He takes the wounds and they become opportunities for him to show off his beauty. And so it's one of the ways he strips away all the things in our life that, that shouldn't be there so that eventually we conform to the image, the beautiful image of Jesus Christ in our own unique way. Here's another way that the Lord can uh, transform us. And uh, at this point, I want to say, for the next five, six minutes, I would like there to be no activity in this room. Okay, so please don't get up and walk out. And and I'd like the ushers to block the doors just so people can really get into this and without distractions. So if you're not going to be able to sit for five minutes for for whatever reasons, it's okay to get up and walk out. But for the next five minutes, I want to lead us in this exercise. Uh, One of the ways that we can allow the Lord to strip away things that don't belong there this is one that I really have not really got into until this week, and Terry's been really helping me get on, on this, 
is by being aware of and attentive to his moment-by-moment sculpting in our life. Just being in touch with that. It's a form of practicing the presence of God. One of the problems that we face is that we sometimes forget that we're embodied. We forget that all of our thoughts are embodied. We tend to, under the influence of Plato and other sources, we tend to hyper-spiritualize ourselves and hyper-spiritualize God. God is sort of the opposite of the physical world, and we think that God likes our spiritual side more than our physical side. And so we tend to downplay the fact that we are embodied. But see, from a biblical perspective, you can never divorce your, your, your flesh and blood nature from your spiritual nature. We are body, soul, and spirit, and they are distinct. But they're never separable. We are body and flesh, flesh and blood. And God loves us as flesh and blood. God created flesh and blood. God sustains moment by moment flesh and blood. God eventually became in the person of Jesus Christ flesh and blood. If God didn't love flesh and blood, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have created it and wouldn't be working to fashion it. What kind of sculptor would Chris be if he didn't like working with clay? <laughs> no, he loves to work with clay. That's what God does. He likes to get involved in our life. And if we're open to it, God can speak to us and form us and shape us in tender ways through our bodies. And so here's, here's an exercise that I'd like to uh, engage in. Can we lower the lights some? And if you want to sh- close your eyes and enter into this for the next few minutes, I encourage you to do that. It says in Acts 17 that... Paul says, in, in Him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Right here, right now, just be aware that God's loving presence, the presence that was expressed on Calvary, envelops you like an ocean pressing in on a, a fish. His presence is all around you, closer to you than your own skin. He is the atmosphere in this room. Moment by moment, he's fashioning you with such an eye towards detail. Fully absorbed right now, just receive this, fully absorbed in the task of fashioning you as though you were the only human he ever created. And let's make it more concrete. Become aware right now of the weight of your body against the chair that you're sitting on the chair that supports you. And let that be a concrete reminder. In fact, it's an expression of the truth that God, moment by moment, supports you, holds you in existence with the same kind of continuity that the chair has. It doesn't ever stop supporting you. It's always there. So also God is always there. In fact, the chair is an expression of God always being there. He's the God who supports the chair that supports you. Just be mindful of the weight of your body and feel how it upholds you. You are, the Bible says, in the palm of his hands, moment by moment. Be held. Just be held. Abba Father is holding you up. Every moment of your life, something is supporting you physically, and it's all an expression of God's love. He supports you. He's there. 
Now as you breathe, take a breath. That's a gift from God. And let that breath that you just took be a reminder. A reminder of how God's tender love has kept you alive, kept you breathing your whole life and is doing it now. As you breathe in, think of these words. I think of you bending over me to breathe life into my lungs. The intimacy of your breath in my mouth. It wasn't just when you were first born that God breathed life into you. He's been intimately and lovingly breathing life into you every breath you've taken. He's been giving you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation all of your life. And he just did it again. And he'll do it again. It's so intimate. It's so intimate. God never goes on autopilot. He's always attentively, personally breathing life into you. When you breathe in, he's exhaling into you. Breathe in. He is the air that we breathe. And it's all about love, the love that was expressed on Calvary. And as you breathe in, the same way that the oxygen goes to every part of your body and that's what keeps it alive, breathe in His perfect, undiluted, unwavering, unsurpassable love. And let it just permeate your being. Like water washing over the clay, let it tenderize you, make you pliable. Just absorb the Lord as He upholds you, as you breathe in, just yield. And say, God, make your masterpiece. Can we uh, turn and get a little more of a full view of this? Chris, yeah, can we just, like, turn it this way just to get a frontal view of this? Yeah, can you get a camera on that? See, now, who would have thought that this was already in the clay 50 minutes ago? Uh, but Chris saw it and had to free it from the rest of the clay. And that's exactly what God does. Chris, thanks so much for, for helping me preach this message. I... Uh, Looking over here and, and just see, seeing you in there in the details, and it just so communicates God's attention. It just incarnated uh, the, the, the point of the message. It was just so moving. Uh, come out here and just, uh, anything you want to share about your experiences? You're like worshiping God by doing the sculpturing? Yeah. Well, actually, after the third time of doing this, it looks subsequently more like me every time, too, I notice. <laughs> And that's typically a problem for artists is you put everything in your own image. But I just kind of went with it this time. It's kind of like God. <laughs> because I felt like, you know, God is making us in his image. And hopefully we keep resembling him more, too, as it goes on. Great. So yeah, that's good. I dug that. And uh, your analogy of being pliable, um, I can keep working on this. And I think it, the good news is it's not really done. This is just 50 minutes, you know. So I could keep working on this for a long time and just keep adding water to it. And as long as I keep it soft and wet um, with the water, then I can keep working on it. And even if it completely dries out, I can, you know, reconstitute it, put water in it and use it again. And even this is reconstituted from last night. So yeah. I added water to it. Yeah. God's love always freshening us. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, yeah. for, for being a part of this. I appreciate yeah. it. Wow.
Amen. That's fantastic. Fantastic. And thank you guys for doing your artistic gifts and worship to God. It's just uh, great. Amen. Amen. That's good. That's good, you guys. I thank God for the gifts. I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward here. And and here's the thing. Uh, We'll keep some music going. Uh, If God is right now in a moment of fashioning you and you don't want to interrupt that, you feel like you're supposed to stay, I encourage you, you can either come forward and kneel if you want or come and receive prayer with these folks about any need that you have in your life. Or if you just want to sit and soak for a little bit, uh, feel free to do that as, as well. I ask that you would uh, take your conversations out to the gathering area so that those who want to stay and just sort of soak in God's presence and breathe and be upheld uh, could continue to do that. I encourage all of us to just be mindful of God's moment-by-moment presence and work in our life and be open to the Holy Spirit reminding you that the ground you stand on is God upholding you and the chair you sit on is God upholding you and the air that you breathe is God's love sustaining you and just let him do his work so fathers we leave this place help us to be pliable in your hands moment by moment and aware of your presence moment by moment and surrendered to your magnificent artistic hand moment by moment and to be aware God that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and you're in the process of forming a masterpiece that will be freed from the clay that enslaves us right now and help us to celebrate what you see in us and what we shall be in Jesus name and all God's people said amen God bless you the altar is open